From the great halls of their house, there are assembled three who hope to one day be the world's greatest driving heroes. Created from the cosmic legends of the universe comes our team captain, the Vision, Bill Fisher. Their soon-to-be Wonder Woman, Vicki Fisher. Our Captain Marvel and head flight trainee, Jennifer Scripchuk. And our Batman, the master of tools, gadgets, and all things mechanical, our mild-mannered soon-to-be billionaire, Alan Danvers. Their mission, to fight injustice, share what is right and wrong, to get you out of your house and come out racing with them, and serve all mankind. They are the Garage Heroes in Training Team. Welcome to the Garage Heroes in Training Podcast. I'm going to be one of the hosts for this episode. My name is Bill. Who else is hosting? I'm Vicki. You are. You almost sound like you're awake. I'm so tired today. I'm so tired today. But it's good. I, I am here and I'm ready for it. Okay. Miss Vicki, we have guests. Yes. We have two guests now. We're 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 playing one on one. We're not no longer, you know, able to double team or anything. But they have a podcast. They sent us the best email invite ever. Very Did jealous. They? Very jealous. Uh, which I stole liberally. Thank you very much. Changed it, edited it, but I paid tribute to them. They have the weirdest episode numbering convention ever for their podcast. And we have a weird episode named Numbering Podcast, but they also have the most swag I have ever seen. And you know how much swag I like to have, and they easily double or triple me. In addition, they have so many sponsors, they make us know that we are doing something wrong. With that, we have two of the hosts of the Break Fix Podcast from Grand Touring Motorsports. We have the crew chief, Eric, host, and Brad host welcome to the podcast guys thanks for having us guys yeah thank you this is the boomerang episode uh we did one with your home court and now we get to subject you to our inane stupid questions so strap in it's the Uh, other side before we start off eric what is your last name oh you don't you don't want that on there (laughs) monstrosity monstrosity and of course brad novak um it's is it is it long is it awkward is it <laughs> it's unpronounceably long so we'll leave it there it's easier to remember that way <laughs> okay all right Sounds remember, good. remember when we started off before talking like do you want to go through first names or not we said no but hey I, so you can edit this out i also don't give out my last name on air because of opsec something that bill should be very familiar with <laughs> indeed oh, what's that <laughs> operational Military. security yeah Military. oh okay okay there you go you will very rarely see it anywhere. Okay. Especially, especially if you have a uh, unique name. My name is so common. They can't find me. Okay. Anyway. All right, gentlemen. We have some simple questions because we're simple people. One of them that's a little confusing when you first try to figure it out is what exactly Grand Touring Motorsports is. It's so many things to so many people. It is. It's, it's like all things to all people. It is. It's like it could be a Frisbee or it might be a restaurant. I, I... Flavor of ice cream, whatever you prefer it to be. Exactly. So I think we need to take a trip down memory lane. And for those of you out there listening to this episode and haven't, you know, 
taken the time to look at our first or second or third or maybe entire first season where we kind of outline what GTM is all about. I will fast forward you through all this. I'll give you the bluff, the bottom line up front. We started almost 20 years ago in its original form, and it's modified many times since then. It was an Audi group. It was this. It was that. We sold parts, you know, all these kinds of things. But we've always been in the motorsports world. We just celebrated our eighth birthday or eighth anniversary as GTM, as the current guys that it's in today. Eight years ago, we decided as a ragtag bunch of track rats to get together and started a car club, you know, trying to keep technology in our back pocket, keep it and also to our advantage, trying to connect people and say, hey, where track event are you going to be at next? Where are you going? How are you doing? You know, do you need help? All these kinds of things. What should I buy? You know, that's one of our favorite sub arcs on the show. So the club has ebbed and flowed over the years. It's grown. We've divested into a million different things. You know, now the club itself is just known as the clubhouse. It's its own separate, you know, entity on the web. We started Paddock Pal, which is a trackside assistant because many of us are instructors. We started the National Motorsport Safety Association. We started Break Fix. We have our store site, as you alluded to in the intro, which is called Schwag, spelled S-C-H-W-A-G to make fun of the Schwaben tools that are out there. And there's a bunch of other things on the horizon. And so if you kind of look at GTM, it went from a bunch of car enthusiasts to as close as we can get to a media group without going over. Yes, because it, it's kind of when you know, you know, but when you try to digest it without like the guided tour, it's it's a little overwhelming. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, you know, and, even the, and even the show itself, we wanted to do it years ago and And like we talked about on our crossover episode, you know, you guys got a couple of years on us. We had been talking about doing a podcast and Brad would always say. Uh, Who the hell wants to listen to what we have to say? Exactly. So that kept us in the written word for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. So we were writing articles, you know, trying to be the next Jalopnik, all that kind of thing. And if you go back into the archives, there's like over 300 articles that we had written, you know, from technical to field trips to weekend recaps and all this kind of stuff. And so eventually, you know, like, like everybody, every other two white guys in America during COVID, we started a podcast. And so our idea for season was to introduce ourselves to the world with our voices And then we progressed into this idea that everybody has a story. We realized very quickly through some friends, especially one of them that recently passed, he kept saying, you know, there's all these stories that get told in the paddock that we hear about on the weekends and you get sick of hearing them, but they only get told in a microcosm of the world, you know, of the motorsports world. And so we decided, let's get those stories out there. Let's get those to our growing audience and to folks like yourselves and say, hey, there's some really interesting stuff out there that you may or may not have heard of before. Yeah, but that, it, we've noticed that because we've had a few people on and, and sometimes even though they're just, you know, huge amounts of information and assistance they can give, sometimes you just want to have a, a story time with whomever you're talking to because they just have stuff that if you don't record it, it just kind of goes away after a while. Exactly. And unfortunately, the track world is so transient. We -hmm. say all the time that it is a sport of convenience, not of loyalty. And so you look at any of these providers, whether it's hpdjunkie.com or TrackShaker or whatever, and you're looking for your next track event, you're looking at what fits my calendar, what fits my schedule. You don't care if it's Chin or HOD or SCCA or whoever. So you show up, maybe you make fast friends, maybe you don't. So our idea was always to continue to spread motorsports enthusiasm and keep 
all these folks connected. Let's go together. Hey, we're going to take a road trip to, you know, NCM or to Barber or Road Atlanta. We've done all these in the past and we go together and you see us, you know, convoying down the highway, you know, with cars and trailers and everything. And so that's, what's made it fun over the years is all the crazy adventures that we've gone on. But to your point, we saw that as people transitioned away from the hobby, a lot of those stories walked walked away with them. And we said, Hey, do you remember when Bob was here and he used to tell us about blah, darn, we missed that. So we're trying to recapture some of that in, in what we're doing. We originally started trying to, uh, trying to, uh, show almost like a personal blog for the team, what we were doing. And then we realized that, you know, it's even more important to get those stories from our guests sometimes, because, you know, a lot of people don't realize how much fun they are or how, how helpful they could be or, or how silly they might be. Cause you know, we're not the only people who do things wrong racing. So. So the little, the little known fact, the trivia part of this, going back to your original question about who we are, many people in our circle might know this answer, you know, how old is GTM? It goes back to our first day of high school. Brad sat behind me in class. We were put in alphabetical order and that's how we met. And Brad, do you want to tell the rest of that story, how it goes? Uh, I mean, I'll paraphrase, but basically I just, I had to ask you about your father's nine 11 because I kept hearing it every single day when he would drop you off for school. And it was the most amazing and awful sounding car. I think I'd ever heard all at the same time. And I was like, what is the deal with that nine 11? I mean, the super traps are amazing and awful at the same time. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Nothing mm-hmm. like a straight pipe 911 reverberating off of old brownstones. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. I, indeed. I think it probably was good that uh, you were sitting in front of Brad because you might not have seen the board behind Brad. That is 1000% true. <laughs> he clocks in at six foot four. So <laughs> I wasn't six four in high school, though. I was only like five nine or five ten in. Uh, freshman year i was still shorter than you so it's all good yeah as were most people but we lovingly refer to him as the viking and that's also the name of his blog was the viking line and there's a story behind that he can probably share yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah, yeah. we were at vir south south course right Mm -hmm. and uh my abs sensor failed and i hit the brakes and they locked up which i wasn't you know accustomed to and I went straight from whatever turn it was and basically just drove all the way down to Oak Tree. <laughs> and I cut out probably 20% of the track. So they, they dubbed that the Viking line. It's the, the fastest, the fastest, uh, the fastest line between two points. That's correct. And we also have an annual award known as the Viking Off-Road Adventurer Award in honor of Brad. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, when did you start the podcast? The our our anniversary is June the twenty fifth of twenty twenty. Oh, okay, and so we just celebrated two years. Oh, the so, trivia uh, episode, which was uh, awesome. Yes, yeah. and you guys inspired us. You know, since since you liberally you know copied our intro emails, you know we figured mm-hmm. we'd copy one of your episode formats. It's, <laughs> it's so, way too much fun not to. Why start the podcast? <laughs> 
Because we sort of saw the writing on the wall, pun intended, you know, as amateur journalists, you know, writing all these stories, we weren't seeing the same kind of trends and traffic that we wanted to see out of the written word. And a lot of our members, you know, we're a hundred members strong now, you know, we've, again, we've ebbed and flowed. They kept saying, I'd really love to hear these stories as I'm driving to work rather than reading about them. I just don't have the time. And so that was nagging at us for a while. And, you know, we're always cautiously optimistic when we take on a new project. And then once the wall goes over, it's just pretty much full send. So during COVID, we pretty much had no excuse. We're all sitting around on our hands going, the tracks are closed, especially here in the DMV, you know, our home track of Summit Point, we can't do anything, we can't go anywhere, we're not allowed to go to New York, you know, all this kind of stuff. So Brad said, let's just get it done. And we, we did a couple pilots. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them went in the trash. One of them is available on YouTube as the original episode zero unaired pilot. And then we got organized very quickly, you know, took inspiration from some other shows, yourselves included. And we have some mentors out there and we said, let's go. Either we're going to do this or we're not. <laughs> yeah, and, it all, you- and, and I was going to say, and also before we started the podcast, we, in order to stay connected with the club members and everything, we had a series of just happy hour events virtual zoom happy hours and they were they were a lot of fun and a lot of like good stories and a lot of good banter going back and forth i was like we should probably record this or stream it or something you know put it out for the club members that didn't actually sign on to hear mm-hmm. uh, and then we were like well we can turn this into actual content that somebody wants to listen to and it worked out <laughs> so yeah. far it's working out do you enjoy it you know i do i actually maybe sadistically i enjoy the editing more than i enjoy the recording sometimes he he enjoys the technical the technical aspects of it that's that's his bread and butter Mm -hmm. it is it is a it is a constant social outlet which is also good Mm -hmm. um depending on what your job is um and definitely keeps you connected um what are some of the goals um long term for your pod so do you remember that game on the price is right where you had the mountain climber that would kind of go up until you told it to stop. Well, the same is sort of true of our plan. We have this whole Mount Everest sort of metaphor where we've put certain guests up at the tippy top and we're, you know, we're at base camp. We're still working our way. And so we're trying to play this Kevin Bacon game to be like, well, if we get this guest and what does that guest get us? And you know, the red paperclip thing like was on Craigslist or Facebook years ago, it's the same idea. So for me, the end goal is I want to sit down and have a conversation with Michelle Mouton. She's one of my heroes. You know, I'm a WRC group B, (laughs) you know, that's my number one passion followed by Trans Am and IMSA. And so we haven't gotten there yet. We're going to get there. We see the light, but there's a lot of people along the way. You don't just go to the top of Mount Everest and say, all right, cool. We're done. Have a nice day. You know, there is the trip down, but we don't ever want to really come down. So Mm -hmm. we're sort of taking the zigzag approach to get there. But in reality, our, I think one of the bigger goals is to reach all the different disciplines. We haven't gotten there yet, right? We're still looking for people in in NASCAR. We're still looking for people that are doing rally. We're still looking for other folks that are out there because we want to connect them. We want the the vehicle enthusiast, right? That's the term, the vehicle enthusiast, whether you're into boats or airplanes or ATVs or cars to understand there's so many other opportunities to enjoy 
let's call them petrol powered or even electrically powered vehicles, right? And go Mm -hmm. have fun with your friends and explore that. So that's still the underlying mission is to spread motorsports enthusiasm. That's what GTM has been about for the last eight years. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Right, Brad? Uh, yeah. And I mean, your, your Mount Everest is a little different than mine. I actually want to talk to the Clarkson Hammond or May. I don't care. Oh. Which one. <laughs> so, so they're, they're on my Mount Everest. I don't know how we're going to get to them because I don't, I don't know how many hundreds of degrees of Kevin Bacon we need to go through to get there. Oh my but gosh. I, I mean, maybe Rob Holland's got a connection there. One of our former guests. He does have, he, he is trying to line up a date with Patrick Dempsey though. That is, that's, you know, that's not quite Mount Everest, but we're getting close. I'm looking for a date with Patrick Dempsey, but it's not the kind of date that Eric's talking about. (laughs) Very well. McDreamy. McDreamy. So um, you kind of got to something we were going to talk about later. How do you feel about the, it seems like the, the harder core car people tend to use ways of division as opposed to ways of addition. Yes, I I would agree with that statement. Um, But, you know, recommendations go a long way. So as Brad has always said, he's like, you know, you're just like your dad, you're, you're super well connected in, in the community. And it's partially because of, the time I grew up in motorsports, you know, coming up through PCA, the Porsche Club of America and things like that, and, and people that were involved, you know, in the founders region and, and, and whatnot, but also just being in the racing community since I was a kid. And so you meet a lot of people. I mean, spoiler alert, this will come out after it airs, but you know, I've been friends with, I have the privilege to say I've been friends with Andy Pilgrim for years. And so making that phone call, it took me a minute to say, are we there yet? Is he going to say no? And no, he didn't. He said, yes, absolutely. Let's sit down. Let's have a chat about, you know, his past. And we had a lot of fun recording that with him. And it's always a pleasure to get together with Andy and we see him at SRO events and things like that. So the question is, you know, it becomes political at that point, right? Do you go to Andy and say, hey, well, you know, you know, these people, can you hook me up? And so that's always a really awkward conversation unless it comes up in conversation, right? And they bring it up. So I know, you know, John Jones, you're like, oh, that's awesome. That sounds like an amazing story. Do you mind, you know, making that introduction? And a lot of people will say yes. So I think that's how you get around the addition versus the division at that point is building your credibility, not coming off like you're trying to sell them something because we're not, we're there to help them, we're, we're there to help shepherd their story and get it to ears that have never heard, you know, Andy's mm-hmm. origin story or some of the other folks that we've interviewed and, and some of the ones I won't spoil them that are coming out. And that's just super helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, everybody's like, you know, you're trying to push stuff on the podcast and I'm like, well, if we made a dollar, that would be the first dollar, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and even if we do, it's only going to make us dig the hole slightly slower. It's not going to, you know, this is not a money-making venture. So anyway, that is, that is a challenge. I think for every creator out there, whether you're a journalist, a podcaster, an artist, or otherwise is, establishing your foothold and getting people to just go, we love what you're doing, keep doing it and, and sending you money. Right. Mm -hmm. Brad and I have struggled for a long time to say, are we providing enough value to our members? Are we providing enough value to our listeners and especially to our Patreon subscribers? 
So we hope so. We think that sometimes we're well over our skis and maybe it's too much. And to your point, they're drinking from the fire hose and they're not understanding what's really going on. And that's why we've unfortunately had to like divest at least some of our web properties to make things more clear as to what the message is. So when you're on Paddock Pal versus NIMSA versus the clubhouse, you know exactly where you are and why you belong there. But asking for money is always tough and we do appreciate it. You know, we never ask any of our guests for sponsorship or anything like that. And if something comes of it, so be it. That's amazing. You know, it's kind of icing on the cake, but we truly do do this because we love it and we're passionate about it. And unfortunately, I don't have any other hobbies. So cars are are my lifeblood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to Patreon, how did you get involved with that? It was recommended to us by some other folks. And we took a look at what some of the other podcasters and other people that we knew in the community were doing. We asked around and many people are like, Patreon's the way to go. Just get it up there, get it out there, remind people of it. And I kept hearing about it on podcasts that I was listening to. Mm -hmm. They would always do their little pitch. Hey, you know, subscribe on Patreon and get behind the scenes and, and all that kind of thing. So Brad's the finance guy, right? That's what he does for a living. So I looked at him and said, do you think this is a viable option for us? And he's like, let's see what happens. And also, I mean, I don't know if you've got gathered this from any of our other uh, episodes that you've listened to, but the club, we don't charge club members any fees. It's 100% free for them. So, I mean, all the funding for the events and stuff that we we've come up with, it's either charged on the spot for, for the event at a, a, a net even you know, a break even for the club, or it comes out of, you know, Eric in my pocket. I mean, there's, there's, there was no other funding for the things that the club was able to put on. Uh, we did do a, it was a VMC. I forget what the acronym stands for, Eric. Do you remember? Voluntary membership contribution. Yeah. So, so we did that. And actually we got a lot of support from our membership that way, asking for them to, to voluntarily contribute versus saying, Hey, you have to pay dues. Um, so we thought Patreon was just another way for people to help support if they if they could and if they wanted to without saying or demanding, hey, if you want to be a part of this, you have to, to pay to play. And mm-hmm. Patreon simplified everything because the way we were doing it before was super kludgy and spreadsheets and PayPal. And Venmo. we were tracking we were tracking house points and all kinds uh, of it was stuff. insane. It was just like, can we just find an automated way to do this and get over it again? We're we're often referred to on the club side of the house as either like the D, the club, the car club for the DOD or the car club for IT nerds because we're extremely technologically heavy. And we got a lot of guys that are developers and administrators and stuff like that. So they're like, oh, yeah, use this solution. Oh yeah, go get this thing. Well, make your life easier. And I'm in the IT world as well. So technology has always been on our side and we try to use it as much as we can to make things as simple as possible. Mm. Well, um, getting, getting to that, we're going to go off a little bit subject. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? You just mentioned that Brad was into finance. Brad, do you want to start a little bit about your background? Um, of who you are, your family life, kind of what you do in your off time when you're not being a superhero? Racing driver. Uh, well, I, I've never been a racing driver. I think I've competed outside of autocross in one timed event. It was a time trial with Emra and I got first place. So I, yeah, I took my, I took my, my plaque and uh, hung it on the wall and I haven't been back to competitive driving, but um, <laughs> just, 
I, I mean, yeah, I, I work in finance right now, but that's definitely not my passion. It, it, it keeps the lights on and pays the bills, but really my passions are cars and music and, you know, my family life now I've, I've got a wife. I've, uh, we've been married for almost three years now, three years, Aww. 2019. To, they're yeah, they're so green, Bill. <laughs> grow out so, of it. They're so green. Oh, it, it mean, gets better. I have a nine, a nine and a half month old. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to the racetrack anytime soon. No, no. I mean, yeah, well, we were we were just at the racetrack, and let's be fair, uh, Eric and I were at Watkins Glen last weekend for the SRO races. So, luckily, I'm very fortunate to have a supportive wife who supports my hobbies and my passions. Um, so, whenever we we can, you know, get an opportunity to go out, she she's all for it. Mm. Was uh was Watkins Glen like a sauna? It actually wasn't terrible. Oh. It was, I mean, it was hot. It was hotter than, it was hotter than October when I'm usually there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't miserable, miserable. It wasn't like going to VIR in August. <laughs> and you, we, we sort of overlooked the, the sweltering heat of, you know, of Lake Seneca because we were there with some first time folks that had never been to a professional race before. And so their excitement got us excited. So you kind of forgot that it was 94 degrees and 70% humidity. Oh, wow. True. True. We felt like bacon last weekend. (laughs) Oh, so how about you, uh, Eric? Crew chief, Eric? You know, I grew up a poor child on a porch in Alabama. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Walked uphill both ways. Both ways. So, you know, I'm a first generation. My parents are both immigrants, came over from Italy in the 70s. I, I'm, a Maryland, I'm a Maryland native, which is very rare because I don't meet any other people that are from Maryland unless they're from the Eastern Shore. Everybody's mm-hmm. a transplant around here. Brad is a Maryland native, so I'll, I'll give you credit. There's two of us at least. <laughs> that said, you know, my car, I don't want to call addiction goes way back goes back to my grandparents, but I'll I'll table that for the moment. But in my personal life, you know, I've got two little girls, they're eight and five Uh, sneak preview. My eldest will be on an episode here in right before back to school called, can you explain it to a third grader? So that's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) My wife and I have been together for 18 years. I don't know. We lose count after a while. We don't think about it. We've been married forever. (laughs) So, you know, we had kids a little later, you know, we enjoyed a lot of life traveling, things like that. Uh, To Brad's point, you know, IT is my vocation. It's not my passion. You know, cars always have been. And again, that stems from my grandparents, Um, you know, post-war. My grandfather was a chauffeur for the Belgian embassy. And so my dad grew up around, you know, big Cadillacs and all these American cars that the, that the uh, ambassadors would drive around in. And so my grandfather was responsible for maintaining the cars, cleaning the cars, driving the cars. So my dad got hooked and I got hooked by way of him. He started autocross as soon as he could started driving just like I did at almost 13 years old on a VW Beetle, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, my dad never wanted me to get into racing, but he made the mistake of putting me behind the wheel of a go-kart when I was five. And your fault, dad, all all downhill from there. Um, I've kart raced all over the country. It's allowed me to see almost it's all but seven States now. (laughs) And then Brad and I autocrossed in high school and college and autocross in our area dried up pretty quickly. There's no more lots that are any good and nobody wants to, well, except for the SCCA guys, nobody wants to stand in line for six hours for three runs at FedEx field. So I gave up on that and went road racing the year after my dad passed away. 
And so I've been carrying that torch uh, ever since. Hmm. I, I think my favorite part of that story is that your grandfather worked on big Cadillacs and, and you know, in these large American luxury cars. And what does your father gravitate to? Shirakos and golfs. Oh, Shirakos. Uh. The exact opposite. But you know what? Of the my, big grand- American sedans. my grandfather had some cool cars, though. I mean, except for the Omni, the Horizon, ugh, whatever. But he had stuff like, you know, like the Beetle. They had a Dodge Dart. I think I believe it was a Stinger. They had a Capri. They had a, uh, what year? a Opel, what year? Opel Capri. Uh, 76 Capri, an Opel Manta. I mean, all just all Scirocco's, all sorts of stuff. I mean, they were never one to buy like the regular old whatever. And I was fortunate to drive one of his Alfa Romeos when I went to Italy one year uh, to visit them. So that was pretty cool. Oh, they're still in Italy? Uh, they're, they are very, very old, but yes, they still live in Italy. <laughs> we, we may have a very, very bad idea for you after the podcast. Anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. So, so driving wise and, and car wise, how, um, do you guys have any um, driving training, driving experience? I, it sounds like Brad is more the high performance driving and car guy, but uh, you know he did some autocrossing. Yep. So Brad is an instructor. He's an MSF level two. He's been through SCC certification. I'm speaking on his behalf. I have those certifications as well. I've gone through BSR. I've gone through a bunch of other uh, certifications for different groups. Uh, right now, I'm currently the chief instructor for EMRA. I've been a time trialer for years, both between EMRA and SCCA. I've kart raced all over the country in endurance karting and sprint karting, uh, autocrossed, and I I didn't do any pro solos. That was always my dad's thing. I didn't like the Christmas tree start, although I've driven mm-hmm. some of his pro solo cars. And you you ran timing when you were about 10, too. Right? That's correct. I did timing for WDCR, SCCA, SESCA, PCA Potomac, and other regions, and a bunch of others. From the, from the, I was in the timing trailer from eight years old up until college. So <laughs> I did a lot of timing and scoring. If you could talk somebody into allowing you to use that in Scrabble, you'd be unstoppable. It was awesome. But you know what it afforded me, Bill? It afforded me these weird instances at the end of the day where they're doing fun runs and somebody slides a set of keys to you at 13 years old and says, go have fun. And you're mm-hmm. like, uh, what's this? What's this for? They're like, just go drive, have fun. So I got to drive a ton of cars before I was legally allowed to drive at autocrosses. Cause we were there every weekend. Brad knows he's like, what, what are you doing in that car now? Uh, and, and, and the timing and scoring also afforded you the ability to have the most difficult and antiquated and just time-consuming so timing stressful. and scoring for our virtual no-money racing league. That is true, it, that you could take the boy out of the timing booth, but you can't take the timekeeper out of the boy, right? <laughs> oh, jeez. <Not> <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So, gentlemen, what the... What's this? What's the fleet right now? What kind of cars are we into? What are we? What are we driving? What are we pursuing? Any uh, any white whales that we need to get to? I mean, if if you're asking, you know, what's it on my bucket list? Oh man, this this could be a long episode. So we'll go with Brad. <laughs> <laughs> well, the current fleet is a Toyota Tundra tow vehicle, and then a Volkswagen Mark V R32. Oh, nice. um, but I'm rethinking the whole thing now that I've got a kid and the Tundra is just an extended cab. So it doesn't have much room for the car seat and the family. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, 
I'm contemplating. Like, yeah, he's contemplating a Nissan GTR because that is family friendly. <laughs> well, no, that's that's probably the white whale, but like more immediate is something like a an RS7 or you know something I can consolidate everything into one vehicle and just have one fun vehicle I can track once or twice a year. Something you can fit into as yeah, well. So, yeah, I can't, I can't do a, a new Honda Civic Type R because it's muy pequeño. Hmm. One car to rule them all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, isn't that always the question, though? If I could, if no. you could have one vehicle to do everything you wanted, what would it be? The Pontiac I mean, Aztec. Yeah. Do you, do you go to Do you go to the garage to fix your race car and grab the Swiss Army knife? No, you go and grab the tool you need. More tools, the better. <laughs> well, the problem is when I when I go to the garage to work on the race car, I never have the right tool, so I'm always buying more tools. Exactly. Perfect. It's just or like I'm, cars. I'm, I'm buying Eric more tools because he's the one that worked on my car. <laughs> that's, that's very true. That's very true. Hence the name break and fix, but you know, we'll leave it where it is. What is is one of you break and the other one fix? I'm just that saying is, that is correct. Okay, all right. Uh, Would you venture to guess now. who is who? Uh, I, I'm thinking let's just be you know, Brad starts with B, so we'll go with we'll, nothing personal, Brad. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, you've heard the stories of the Viking line and stuff like that. Of yeah. course, I'm the one that breaks things. Do you want to feel better about your Viking line? always okay so have you ever been to new hampshire motorsports park i can't say that i have okay so it's the the nascar oval and then if you take about hmm, almost halfway around if you're running the road course you make a right hand turn like a sharp right hand turn and go up the hill and there's like a road course and then it comes back down like 300 yards past there so we're at our first new hampshire motorsports park and everybody, let's say that everybody's doing laps like a minute 40 something, whatever, something. Let's just pick a number, minute 40. And then Vicky pops in My there. My first time at this track That's ever. Right. Vicky pops on the scoring for Friday practice with a 32, not a 132, is, a 32. And that we're is like, quite the lap. It is quite the lap. And uh, Vicky, would you care to explain? So this particular track, when you take the really hard right turn, it goes through a set of fences that goes uphill um, and then kind of wraps around. But I've, I've never been to the track. I didn't see the track map. You know, I didn't know. So the, the front part really wasn't blocked off. So I just did the loop. <laughs> I did the loop. I, I omitted the whole going through the the second part of the track, which was uphill and into the, you know, through the fencing. It's like a bottleneck. It's really awkward. It's such an awkward track. Uh, everything is bottleneck there. And, uh, and I just didn't think that was part of the track. It just didn't look like it should be part of the track. It was part of the track. So, yeah, I just decided not to include that part of the track in my lap. And I just went straight and uh, nobody straight seemed to, to care <laughs> no but nobody really cared i don't know no, the, the corner workers cared a lot oh, i don't did think they? i don't think their eyes blinked for about a half an hour and then the next day for the race there was a whole lot more jersey barriers crossing the, the track <laughs> to make sure this wasn't possible anymore was, yeah. yep yeah whatever <laughs> moving on anyway so so i guess if we rewind to your 
two questions ago about cars and the fleet. Do you want me to answer that? For oh, really yes. Time? Yes. It's still there. Here's so a, I'm going to answer for Eric. Fiat 124 Abarth you know, <laughs> or a Dodge Viper. I know Dodge Viper's on his bucket list. Is it? I recently drove one for an extended period of time. You drove of... an older one, though. You didn't Did you drive your the, hero. Uh, the usually special. You know, I've met a lot of my heroes. Smokey and the Bandit Trans Ams, Renault R5 Turbos, 911 930 turbos all sorts of stuff that i'm just like yeah i'm good you can keep it it's like somebody else's kids they're fun to play with but you know it's good when they go home what about <laughs> what about a smoking the bandit trans am resto mod so this one was a hot rotted engine by a friend of mine that actually went to school in mooresville so he was making well over 400 and it mm-hmm. still was not fun to drive so uh, no <laughs> So that said, for anybody that watches our behind the scenes videos, you'll see one of my cars is always over my shoulder. I've inherited that from my dad. It's a wide body Porsche 914.6 that I'm working on. Okay. And it doesn't have a six in it anymore. It's actually got a 20 valve turbo four cylinder Volkswagen engine in it, which is going to be more reliable and more drivable mm-hmm. than the 964 twin spark that was in it. So, but that's a 1800 pound car with me in it, former national pro solo champion car. So yeah, there's a lot of history in what we call the Batmobile. Mm-hmm. Then I have what makes roughly 400 horsepower Audi TT time attack time trials car. I've got a split personality GTI VR six that I share with my sister. We I've got a 2003 golf VR six estate, which is a a complete Euro spec car. I've got a diesel grand Cherokee, which is, you know, they only made for two years. Those are a lot of fun. My wife drives a spaceship and what else do I got in there? I'm sorry. Oh, and there's a Lotus Seven, yeah. <laughs> oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. I don't think about that one too much. <laughs> All right. Where so, do, uh, where do you store? So everybody asks me that question. The cars are on rotation. Uh, sometimes they live here. Sometimes they don't. Uh, sometimes they sit outside my driveway. You could land a helicopter on. So I have a lot of room. I purposely, when we expanded it, I, my wife thought I was crazy. I went to a target and I measured the parking spots. I even have little parking bumpers in my driveway. It is exactly seven target spaces wide. And I want to paint the lines and she continues to not allow me to, but, uh, <laughs> it's pretty big on its width. And then, you know, there's the depth to go along with it too. So you can park, you can park four cars, next to each other the other way so it's a four by seven driveway if you want to do the math it's pretty big with the trailer correct with my with my trailers and in the driveway and everything else yeah it's big so right um so any goals and dreams bucket list items tracks series cars races events well well, I'm going to scratch one off the list next year. We're going to the 100th anniversary of Le Mans. Wow. And then I, I plan to be at the 100th running of Le Mans too, which is 10 years from next year. So I want to do it twice. Uh, tracks that I want to drive, you know, we've joked for years about packing a car trailer and going to Laguna Seca. I've been to a Trans Am race there um, or Grand Am race there rather. So that was, that's good. A lot of the West Coast tracks don't get me as excited. I've done a ton of the East Coast ones. I mean, Brad's been on a lot of the adventures that I've been on. I would love to do, you know, Mont-Tremblanc or Road America or any of the ones up there that we haven't really been able to reach. You know, those have mm-hmm. been on our cannonball list, cannonball run list for a while. Uh, I'm trying to think cars. 
God, there's so many. I mean, it, it, just like my fleet now, it's collect like collecting Matchbox cars. I feel like I need to go to Al-Anon meetings. Like, you know, hi, I've got a problem. I collect cars. So like I, Mark four Volkswagen. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm starting to, I don't know. I'm starting to thin those out too. I need to own an Italian car before I die. I, I keep saying that. <laughs> Whatever that means, I don't know yet. Define need. It's a, it, it is a personal want. Like okay. I want okay. to own an Italian car. I need to own an Italian car. <laughs> he would be a very bad Italian if he did not own an Italian car at least once in his life. I would be remiss. Yes. Yeah, he would be remiss. Every petrol head must have an alpha. Exactly. You get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's right. Clarkson says that all the time. Mm-hmm. I am a big fan of the GTV6, although ugh, these days, I don't know, getting parts for those. But uh, anyway. Other things on that list, I mean, for me, I don't see an end to it. I don't think there's one thing I want to do because there's so many things that I still want to do. I mean, honestly, as a kid, I wanted to be a rally driver. I still haven't checked that off the list yet. Unfortunately, Tim O'Neill, if you're listening, your school is way too expensive. So I haven't signed up yet. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I'd rather go to Skippy School or one of the other ones for the same price or for less. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's a pill to swallow to go to, to, go to rally school. And, you know, I think I was born under the wrong star. Uh, secretly, I think I would have survived really, really well during the during the 60s in Detroit, you know, alongside of DeLorean and a lot of other folks that were coming up in that era. So I don't know. What about you, Brad? Uh, tracks that I want to drive. Uh, definitely Laguna Seca, Road America. I've been trying to convince Eric to commission a car for Pikes Peak but mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to think that we're qualified for something like that. I would love to, to compete I, for Pikes Peak. I mean, you see, that's what you have to add because Hertz will give us a car and we can drive Pikes Peak. It's not a big deal. No, 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 no. I want to drive Pikes Peak at speed without oncoming traffic. Uh, <laughs> a racetrack that we always talk about all the time is Brands Hatch. It's Hatch, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Britain. Uh, cars, I mean... After I drove the Viper and I drove our buddy's C8, I don't know that super, super fast cars are for me, especially sports cars, just because I don't really fit in them properly. So it's not mm-hmm. a very enjoyable experience, but fast sedans. I mean, you, you got me with the, like an RS7 or a, an Alfa Romeo, Giulia, Quadrifoglio, uh, or something like that. I'd love to get one of those. And of course, the dream car would be a C7R. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love wow. to take a C, C7R around. Laguna Seca and VIR. Oh man, that would. Be- I mean, if you're going to do that, then I'm nose to tail with you in an SLS Mercedes. All right, because well, okay, well, we're going to do that. We also have to do Watkins Glen in a in an R8 and a Viper. A Viper. <laughs> yeah, well, we've we've got a question for you for that for later. So you're both pretty. <laughs> oh, thank you. Aww. Sorry, I'm sitting here looking at the Scirocco. I got, I got, went down a rabbit hole with this Scirocco. Scirocco's not on the list. I, I know, I I know, but don't, don't you blaspheme? You know, the thing was, the thing was, is that this, this whole interview has brought up like a whole, um, a history. Yeah, it was a flashbacks to high school and just post high school when I had a friend who was Italian, who drove a Scirocco. And uh, and I had completely forgotten about the Scirocco. And then I'm just wondering, my God, I, I I like whatever happened to this car. And then like a like a rabbit hole just began just to start. And I apologize because Sorry, that, 
Come back. So the, se- the secret trivia undertone there, why? I, well, not only because I grew up in the back of Scirocco's, is it was designed by Jujaro, and I haven't found anything that he has penned that I don't like. <laughs> so right. name something, and I'm good with it. Whether it's the DeLorean, the BMWs, you know, all they, all those cars, I'm good with all of them. Right, right. I didn't know the Scirocco was a VW. I, I was not aware of that, but okay. So uh, racing philosophies. This is one of my favorite questions. When you get on the track and, you know, what do you tell yourself or when you're helping other people, is there like this go-to phrase that, that, you know, Eric is already laughing. So I know he has one. I, I know, you know what Eric's phrase is. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. You know, I, I got to the point when, when, because I was a woman on the track and especially when I'm racing with like a hundred and some cars, uh, my motto became, damn it, I paid to be here, too. <laughs> what I'm telling myself, so which is encouraging me to push further and not letting these people muscle me out of my spots. Yeah. What is yours, Eric? <laughs> uh, so, I, I'm going to try and answer this question for him. I know he's going to answer <laughs> it anyway, but he's got two philosophies. The first one is just send it. And then the second one is today's a good day to die. Oh, okay. Bring on battle cry the whole way. Every time I get into the right seat with a student, today is a good day to die. Fantastic. That, that's Brad, pretty you, good. Brad, do you have one or do you have one when you're uh, like in a, like a student's coming in? And when, when I'm going out with a student, my, my battle cry is always, please just get back to the paddock for the next session. <laughs> <laughs> just it's only 20 minutes. Just make it to the next session. Just uh, make it to the next session. I had my, I had my first mechanical failure was that when I was out as a uh, instructor, thankfully it was an easy mechanical failure. And I was with probably one of the best drivers I've ever been with. And that was so happy. Yes. I had a so, student tap the wall once at dominion. Oh, that so Brad's one of Brad's other phrases used to be my mechanic is fantastic, <laughs> which is a quote from Ari Vatnin from back in the group B days. He said mm-hmm. all the time. My mechanic is fantastic. <laughs> so what uh, were some of the most memorable in general mishaps or uh, most Code fantastic? Right. Code Brown. Oh, that's awesome. Code Brown moments that you've had while instructing. Uh, oh, while instructing. Oh, while we're instructing. Wow. Um, I mean, I've had students go off. I had the student at Dominion. She she tapped the wall. Her the back end of her three seventy got loose, and it, it just so it's a three fifty now. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a three twenty two now. Three twenty two point five. No, it's a, but it, it got loose and tapped the wall, scraped up her bumper. She didn't care. We went in, you know, just because you're supposed to after you go off. And they're like, cars okay? You guys okay? Have fun. We went right back out. She finished the day. So the story I'm going to tell, most of our members will expect me to tell. So I'm going to tell it again for the thousandth time because I think it's one of my most memorable stories. And it dovetails off of your previous question, Bill, which is another saying I used to tell Brad all the time when he would say, oh, I think, you know, there's a little shimmy in the car. I think something's wrong. You know, you need to go drive it and tell me. I'd be like, dude, drive it till it's broken. And then we know what to fix, right? Just get it done. But VIR, I'm at an Audi club event <laughs> and I'm coaching in a TTRS. It's towards the end of the weekend. You know, this guy's doing, this guy's doing really well. It's a quick car, whatever. 
And, you know, he's talking to me and this and that. And he goes, he had just told me like the lap before he goes, you know, I, I've been thinking about it. I got to be really careful. I got to slow my hands down. I'm like, oh yeah, really? Why? He goes, well, you know, the TTRSs have a tendency, like the transmission will jam up if you try to shift it too quickly. And some people will miss fourth gear. And I'm like, okay, cool. So what does he do on the subsequent lap? Turn 17, hog pen. He grabs second gear, does like 15,000 RPM. It was available. And, yeah, it was cool. You know, whatever car took it he puts it immediately into fourth gear and he's like do you think it's okay and i'm like well i don't see any smoke and i don't hear anything and no pistons came through this through the through the hood so send it let's go right send down it. The, right down the front straightaway buck 35 into turn one no problem come out of turn one car's running great two turns two three nascar lower s's and then the car starts bucking violently right and I'm just like, oh, man. He's like, do you think we should pull over? I'm like, immediately, pull over now, right? Something's wrong. So we, we, we pull over, and I look at, we're right at the flagger station at the exit of the S's right before you go into the upper S's. And the flagger is like, y'all know you're on fire? And I'm no, like, what? I'm like, excuse <laughs> me? He's like, you've been on fire for three turns. And I'm like, what? He's like, get out the car. And I'm like, okay, so we get out of the car. And he, he literally, and this is the day I became a volunteer firefighter. Oh, okay. And, he, and I'm like, what do you want us to do? And he's like, well, you can come up here and get the fire extinguisher. I'm like, excuse me? He's like, come on up here and get it. And I'm like, okay. So I run up. And then my student, meanwhile, I wasn't looking my back turn as I'm running back with the fire extinguisher, which was not my job. But, you know, I'm like, whatever, volunteer firefighter for the day. He opens the hood. That's, and that's good. No, good it stuff. was not good. It good was stuff. not good. Chernobyl that TT. There was not enough fire extinguisher to salvage that, that motor. And then it got better, right, Brad? Remember the giant trailer swap? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was another car that had broken down. It was an E4 to 6 M3, you know, because that's what they do. What? Uh, I think I think he had fire issue too, and he was leaking oil all over the place and everything. So we loaded him up onto Eric's trailer earlier before the, the TTRS broke. Uh, and because I was going to take him. So my car was already loaded because I was getting ready to leave because that's what I do early on a Sunday. I like to go home. And then so this we loaded this guy up on Eric's trailer and then I take him away. Eric was going to tow my trailer because meanwhile, Eric's car, Eric wasn't using his trailer because his car was broken. And it was, no, being... I had the BMW and my sister. No, 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 no. You had, you had the, the, uh, TT, I think, cause you no, it was going home. No, I was the M3. I had the M3 there. No, the TT went home with the NGP. The white TT, the one that blew up did, but no, my no, no, car. No, no, no. no, your car, your car went home with NGP. Uh, something was wrong with it. Oh yeah, maybe that's right. I don't know. Yeah. There was an open trail, but anyway, it became this whole Chinese fire yeah, drill yeah. with so, trailers so, and cars and people going in directions they shouldn't have been going. And yeah, yeah. So. so I took I took home an E46 M3 with Eric's trailer. Uh, a couple of our club members took home the Eric student uh, with their trailer. For some reason, they didn't have, or they they pulled their car off the trailer because it was out of all our cars, it was the only car that was street legal. So they drove their car behind their trailer, towing this person that they've never met before back to every all signs were going to ngp apparently we were all going to the same place my the punchline is my trailer is still stained from that bmw and every yeah. time i unload it i curse brad for what did you do to my trailer oh wow you're welcome you know, what that thing was leaking i lubed it <laughs> it'll yes. never rust again that 
I was going to say the only other story that's a lot of fun is changing three axles in between three autocross runs at a Corvette club event. That was pretty good. So, All right. So we've got a, uh, we've got a traditional question before we get oh to boy. We're, we're going to start the, start the episode soon. Um, <laughs> so these are, these are the intro anyway. So good, bad, and the ugly. These are for people that are going to get started in high performance driving, maybe a track day, maybe a race, whatever, autocross, doesn't matter. Something good, things that they should do or things that you've done in the past that worked. Bad would be things that they should not do or things that did not work for you. And ugly is just an opportunity for story time. <laughs> oh, the good is that motorsports is one of the most open and accessible sports period. So if you look at it, it has the potential to probably be one of the most diverse sports on the planet too. And I lumped that in with baseball and basketball and football and all sorts of stick and ball games. There is an opportunity for able-bodied people, able-bodied people, disabled people, people of color, race, it doesn't matter, right? Motorsports is non-discriminatory. When you're behind the wheel, it's cars and you're having fun and all that. There's so many different disciplines to motorsport. You need to find the one that suits you. Right. We talk a lot and we favor track. I mean, I love rally, but we grew up in karting. Right, Karting is a great gateway to other things. You know, if you're going to follow the progression model, then you go to autocross, then you go to DE. And then maybe you find yourself saying, you know, I want to go to drift or I want to go to club racing or, or whatever have you. So there's so many different ways you can go, whether it's open wheel, closed wheel, two wheeled, four wheeled. I mean, again, it, it, the paddock is open to everyone. So what I, what we generally tell people is run what you brung, make sure you've got tires that have some tread on them and, you know, put new pads on and brake fluid and just learn to drive what you learned in driver's ed is not what you're going to learn at any motorsports discipline. The foundations are similar across the board, the basics of what you need to know. So I think that's the good. Mm -hmm. What about the bad? Uh, for bad, I was just thinking it was about this, but um, well, so is this advice that we're trying to give somebody? Or? Sure. Okay. You are not Ayrton Senna or Michael Schumacher, so don't come to the track expecting to put down the same lap times that you saw on a leaderboard somewhere on a forum that you were reading before your track event. Come there expecting to learn, expecting to be humbled uh, and be open-minded to constructive criticism and education because you do not know anything when you go to the track. And your uh -huh. best friend, your best friend is time, track time and experience. It's your, it's your enemy too. <laughs> but well, to dovetail off of what Brad said, I think the other thing is with humbling, if you haven't ever been passed by a Miata on a track day, you're not doing something right. That's my philosophy. You, you have a lot to learn still. Mm -hmm. I can see that. What about story time? Things that you've seen, things that you've, especially if it was like early in your career or early in someone else's career, since we never did anything wrong when we were learning. No, no, no. My, my favorite story times are always when we go to load a broken car on a trailer and we get pushing the vehicle. We're right at the trailer and then somebody pops their head up. Is the trailer hooked up to the truck? Boom. Trailer goes up. 
goes down, hits the back of the truck. That's happened on more than one occasion. Hasn't hit the truck yet, but it has, it has not hit the truck. <laughs> you guys just aren't doing it quite right then. No, apparently not. Not hitting it hard enough, I guess. I mean, there are so many, there's so many stories. I mean, I, I'm, I'm well into the triple digits with students. I mean, it runs the gamut from the most timid to the engineers, to the overly aggressive. And, you know, like I said, every day is a good day to die as an instructor, but you, you learn quickly from everybody else's learning habits, their mistakes. It makes you a better driver, but on the same token, it's extremely stressful, but the weirdest stuff happens. The weirdest things break, the weirdest things go wrong, but you have to take it in stride. If you get upset about the first time you break a stud and you're out there on four out of five, well, <laughs> not that that's ever happened. I mean, that's something simple, right? Or how many trips we've gone for broken axles over the years or, you know, busted wheel bearings or whatever have you, you just learn to be prepared. And we talked about it on the episode with you guys. It's the checklist. It's being organized. It's being over-prepared. That's what comes with seat time is all those mm-hmm. lessons learned. But, you know, the one thing I can say is, Never go to the track alone. Make friends. You will, and the, the track is a general term, by the way. You will meet other people, make friends, because if you go alone, you'll be turned off, right? Because people are hyper concentrated on their checklist and the things they need to do and make sure the car is safe and ready and all that kind of thing. But talk to people, meet people. There's no such thing as a dumb question, in my opinion. And that, even a stupid question, opens conversation. And especially if there's somebody else there with a similar car to you, that's a golden opportunity. If you're looking to get into it, there's two golden rules. And those are a, if I can't walk up and put a boot in your door, you've brought the wrong car to the track. And number two, buy what you see in the paddock. So if you go to events, you know, NASA events or CCA, or maybe your Porsche club or whatever, if you see 944s, and you see E36s and Miatas and Volkswagens and Hondas, that's what you should be buying as your track weapon. Not this, you know, the Studebaker Avanti because you think it's cool and you want to show everybody how cool it is. You're going to be left on the side of the paddock by yourself trying to figure out how to get that thing and get that thing to continue running versus, hey, do you have a spare throttle body for any Miata? Sure, I got 12. Just grab one off the truck. Give, leave me five bucks. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So now, so now that we're done with the introduction, let's get to the meat <laughs> of the podcast, shall we? <laughs> so just in case our, our listenerships did not overlap as much as I, I think they should or think they could, because we both have kind of aligned in terms of what we're trying to do for the sport and, and trying to get people into the sport. I thought I would go over a few of your episodes that stood out and we could talk about them here Okay, and go over them. So episode... I think it was three, maybe four, way back, way back. You had starter cars that you think would be great. And it could be for the road or it could be for the track. And especially I wanted to get into um, selection criteria. And we, I think we just did a little bit of the typical examples. But just in case for our listeners, what was, what was the uh, results of this episode, sir? Yeah, so that kicked off our what should I buy series, which started in print. It also was on Slack, a lot of arguments over the years, people coming into the sport and saying, you know what, I did run what I brung. I don't want to drive my 2003 Civic. You know, what do I want to buy as a track car? You know, I want something that I can abuse. So 
trivia, if anybody's playing the game at home, that was not our first recorded What Should I Buy episode. The V8 Convertibles was actually the first one, but in order, the starter track cars had to come first to kind of set the credibility and set the stage. How we determined that list was basically based on the two guiding principles we just said. Cars that are commodity cars, uh, huge aftermarket following, easy to get parts for, and were basically 10,000 bucks or less. Right. It's pretty cheap and everybody's got one. So on that list included cars like E36 and E46 BMWs, C C5 Corvette. The BRZ is an outlier because it's more expensive and it's a lot newer, but it's still relatively cheap. It's, you know, less than 30 grand if you're going to buy one brand new. These days they've come down in price. 944s, 350Zs, front wheel drive cars like Volkswagens and Civics and things like that. So that was our starter, you know, list. You know, you don't to Brad's point, you're not Schumacher, you're not Senna. Yeah, you might own a GT3 911 or, you know, a Audi RS4 or something like that. Those cars with all their nannies and computers are going to disguise a lot of your bad habits. Learning how to drive a slower car, a driver's car, a more primitive car fast is going to make you a better driver. So that's as long, what as built long as that you fit in the car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> what about the. You know, I've seen people with fully prepped race cars, arrow and slicks in HPD one. So I'm going to, I'm going to pose a retort to that in the form of a question. And I bring this up in my classroom sessions at EMRA and I have a couple slides that go with it. And I ask these folks, you know, they show up with cars like that. And I, and I say, do you even know what any of this stuff does? And I get this kind of blank stare or confusion. Like, what are you talking, where are you going with this? And then I ask, do you have a wind tunnel at home? And then I get this other kind of like side eye, like, okay, where's he going now? I always have a subscribe to the idea that you never mod a car past your ability to drive it. But then there are also mods that you cannot prove work. So you can take a page out of Mighty Car Mods playbook and figure out which air filter does and doesn't work for your application. And that's a good way to go. Stop buying parts because you think they look cool. If, especially if they don't work, they could be robbing you of horsepower. But when you talk about arrow and, you know, I've seen crazy things, you know, splitters made of plywood and all sorts of nutty things, especially in the time trial world. But if you can't prove to me that any of that stuff works, don't bolt it to your car. But to kind of counter that a little bit, some of those people may be showing up with a rented car. True. Especially in HPD one, they may be borrowing a friend's car or they're renting a car that just happens to be a spec Miata or whatever. And to them, I mean, yeah, please come out and you know drive whatever you have available to you. I would suggest that if the car, it's a spec Miata, for example, ask the person renting the car to you to put street tires on instead of, you know, the slicks or the, the competition tires and ask them maybe to put a less grippier brake pad so you can actually drive the car at your capabilities instead of the car's capabilities. And there's the other side of that. I mean, I, we can say, especially in our area, there's countless E36s when you walk through the paddock that all have the same design, the same canards, mm -hmm. the same splitter from, from Hart Motorsports, the same, uh, you know, spoiler, all this stuff. And everybody's copying everybody else, but nobody can tell you who said that was a good idea. And Ooh. then you get, and then you get the guy that comes in with the four door M3 with no arrow and he wipes the floor with everybody by two seconds. So is it the car? in the setup or is it the driver, which is it? So that's why I take issue with some of those mods and say, A, are you ready for them? And B, do they actually work? Mm. Very cool. 
Ms. Vicky? Um, have what is your uh, decisions and your thoughts on um, track insurance, the pluses and minuses? So we have been very fortunate to interview several track insurance companies, episodes forthcoming. You know, there are huge benefits to it if you have something of value. Now, I'm not saying that not all cars have value, but if you have an old Mark II GTI XITB car that you bought off a of racing junk, I mean, what's it worth, right? You're not going to get, even if you're running an HPD, yeah, declared value is awesome. You can walk away from it, but it's not a car that it personally would pain me if I wrecked it. Like I'm always of the opinion, buy a car you can walk away from, uh, like we were talking about before. But yeah, if you have a GT3 911 or you're running a Viper or a brand new C8 Corvette, yeah, track insurance, absolutely. Because you're probably still paying on that car or, or whatever have you, or you know, you've saved all your pennies and that's your dream car. No, you don't want to wreck it. But there's also the other side of that. If you don't want to pay the price for track insurance, then listen not 100%, 200% to everything your instructor tells you because you need to make sure that you take it home as shiny as it arrived. So there's that side of it. So again, to Brad's point, you're not Nigel Mansell or Tazio Nuvolari or whatever. Come be prepared to learn, humble yourself, take it down a couple of notches. Yes, you've got the fastest car in beginner group, but you're also the biggest fish in the smallest pond, right? So you need to work up to it. So track insurance is a good thing. I like the fact that it exists. I think it needed to be there for a long time. The huge benefit for me as an instructor is that it covers me as well. Uh, not all companies, but there are companies that will cover the coach at the same time. So that's important. Brad, I, I drive 25 or 30,000 miles a year for my job. So, you know, I'm going to be naturally good at this because I'm an excellent driver. No, no, you're not. And what you can do, yes, you can go out and you can, we can play a game. I will let you drive the way you want to drive. We'll, we'll time you. We're not supposed to do this because it's not a timed event, but whatever. This is my fantasy. So we'll time you. And then we're going to take you out in my car and we're going to time me. And then I'm going to show you how you suck. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so the student's nickname in this case is Hoover. Okay. Very well. <laughs> it's the, uh, the, the suck cut. Yes. yes. Suck cut. <laughs> it sucks while it cuts. I mean, there's something to be said about that. There's a lot of people, especially here in the DMV, the speeds have picked up a lot lately on the highways. I don't know about where you guys are, yeah. but everybody seems to be able to do hundred miles an hour now with no issues. Cause you know, the cars are safer and blah, 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 speed limit be damned, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I, I find myself, you know, even let's say five miles over the limit getting past, like I'm parked, but the difference is what I bring home from the track is massive amounts of situational awareness thinking ahead, planning ahead, looking ahead, you know, constantly checking my mirrors. So I've said more than once, even to my wife, and we've seen things unfold where I'm like, watch this wreck. And she goes, what do you mean? And I'm like, just wait for it. Right. It, because people just aren't paying attention. So on the road, it's easy to squeeze the thin pedal and go fast. As long as your car has any modicum of horsepower, the difference comes in. Yeah. You might be able to take that long swooping double lane ramp at 80 miles an hour, 
but it's really different on Shenandoah and Watkins Glen and VIR when you're putting the car to its limits and trying to take that turn at 90, 100 plus or, or whatever have you. There's, there's not the space. It's not the same. And it doesn't 100% translate. My dad used to tell me that all the time. Just because you think you can drive in the street doesn't mean you can drive anywhere else. And also mm-hmm. who's putting 30,000 miles a year on their car post-COVID? <laughs> everybody's working from home. You, you went from putting 30,000 miles on your car to putting, you're rusty. Six, you're putting yeah. 6,000 miles on your car. Now. This is true. This oh, is the, true. the best one to, you know, to, to dovetail off of that is the best ones that, Oh, well, I, I played this track in Forza. I know what I'm doing. Oh, geez. Don't even get me started. <laughs> I do this in iRacing all the time. I'm a pro. All right. Let me give you the number one thing. And we, we've talked to some esports people, if you think you can drive because you drive iRacing and I get how popular it is or Assetto Corsa or Forza or any of those, that's awesome. You know which way turn 10 goes at, at Watkins Glen or which way the oak tree goes at VIR. Great. You know what's missing from all the simulations because it can't be simulated is the elevation changes that you experience, especially at the coast on, at the tracks on the East Coast. There, when you get there, you realize, oh, the 3D scanning and all that is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's 4K. But what they failed to tell you is those cameras were mounted to a car. And when you go up a hill, everything looks really, really flat. So that's what you're missing is camera elevation and then the real physics that ass in the seat, as Hans Stuck used to say, his best tool was what he was sitting on when he was driving. You don't get that in the sim world. If you don't believe him, Go to Road Atlanta, drive in. You're not even on the track yet. Just go through the gate and tell me that's what the sim looks like because it doesn't. 10A through 12, you might as well be driving off a building. I mean, pretty much huge Mm -hmm. for sure. So, um, what about diagnosis of car issues? I mean, how did you come about learning working on cars? Have you always done it or do you have references? Did you learn? Tell me your story. I've always let Eric work on my cars. This is a true true story. So that's where he got all his experience. It's something to do with the first name of B, starting with a B. That's what it is. So I am Fix. That is for sure. Uh, like was it uh, Fix It Felix and uh, Wreck It Ralph? That's me. But uh, (laughs) he's Wreck It Ralph, right? Are you a tinkerer? Me? Yeah. Well, so the thing is, you know, going back to my, you know, my history in cars, my grandfather grew up in a time where you worked on them yourselves, right? You had to fix the ambassador's cars and all that kind of stuff. My dad, the same thing, you know, back then you didn't take it to the mechanic, you did it yourself. So I grew up in a family where, you know, that immigrant tenacity, you rolled up your sleeves, you didn't take it to the mechanic, you learned how to do it. So I wrote an article about this years ago. We just recently did an episode, a reprisal on Father's Day called Come Here and Hold the Light. And it was all about spending time in the garage with your dad and learning, you know, by osmosis, curse word or otherwise, you know, how to work on cars. So growing up with, you know, as a dinosaur, carbureted cars, manual cars, not only manual transmission, but we're talking my 914 is manual brakes, manual clutch. It's manual everything, manual steering, right? So growing up in a, you know, old school Porsche VW Audi family, that's what you lived with. So you got really good at diagnosing issues and listening to the car you know my dad was never one to have anything stock so everything had an exhaust i got really good at identifying you know when a miss or when it wasn't running right or which car was going by me he would do these close your eyes you know tell me which cars are in traffic all sorts of weird stuff right all these all these jedi mind tricks that i learned over the years 
So from that spawned, I guess you guys are leading to the seven deadly sins or the seven deadly sounds. And so that came from Brad and I talking about, you know, as he wanted to branch out on his own, how do I diagnose some of these issues? How do I tell the difference between a wheel bearing that's going bad and brake pads and things like that? And we wanted to take that and bestow that upon our students as well. And to, you know, everything happens at a higher speed on track. So you need to be cognizant of what this grind means versus that grind. And it's not the one between third and fourth gear. It's, you know, when you're going into turn one at Watkins Glen at a buck 20 and you suddenly break the hub because you knew the wheel bearing was going and you ignored it, you know, that sort of thing (laughs) to ask me how I know. But that, that said, you know, it is really important to use all of your senses when you're dealing with a car. I don't recommend taste usually, but, you know, smell, sight, you know, knowing your colors. We talk about that a lot. We actually translated this into what we call a car care clinic, which we did for some high schools and trying to teach those kids as they were going away from home. You know, you don't have to call mom and dad every five minutes, but learn how to tell your mechanic or advanced auto what it is that you're experiencing as your problem. So we're, we're all about education. We love like, you know, passing that information along and that's part of the enthusiasm. Hmm. Um, what about your, uh, track day hangover episode (laughs) tips and tricks, especially in the heat or cold. So it's a real thing. I had it on Monday and you know, the hangover is a loaded term. It, you know, a lot of people, oh, because you were drinking beer all weekend. No, I, I'm not a, I'm not a heavy drinker. Neither is Brad. A beer, unfortunately, as we discussed in the episode, is it dehydrates you on top of everything else. But really, the track hangover is a result of being out in the sun all day at places like VIR and the Glen, where they have no shade of any kind, and you yeah. don't drink, you don't drink enough. Yeah, you don't hydrate properly. You don't eat properly. I mean, yep. a lot of people, even when they go away from home, whether it be a track day or anything, they just they don't eat properly because you don't have your your food there. You can't prepare your own food, so you're always eating out. And what do you do when you eat out? You get a steak, or you get a burger, or you get a pizza, or something. And so people just all of that compounds into yeah. just feeling like complete trash. Like the first thing I want to do when I come home from a track event. Uh, either a track event I'm driving at or a pro race or whatever. The first, you can ask my wife that I've done this on numerous occasions. The first thing I do is I come home and I eat a salad. I eat the yep. biggest salad I can Ooh. just to get some sort of green nutrients because yes, I, Bill's making weird faces. Bill's like, no, porterhouse steak with uh, A1 on it. Come on now. Well, because I had fried chicken and porterhouse and all that stuff <laughs> while I was out. So I need to come back and just load up on, you know, some, some leafy greens. So to Brad's point, Yes, 100%. I agree with that. I did the same thing. When I got home from the Glen this weekend after the SRO event, I was just like wasted and, you know, not burnt from the sun, but I didn't hydrate enough. I do subscribe to everything that Ken said on the episode. Prehydration is key. So I prehydrate lots of vegetable based proteins, you know, dense vegetable based proteins. I really do follow along with what he said. Part of the reason we had him on the show, not only is he a personal friend, colleague, et cetera, he used to race motorcycles. Motorcycles are intense. Take what we do and now put yourself in full leathers on a hot bike 
as close to the asphalt, which is, you know, 200 degrees as possible. Mm -hmm. So Ken comes from that world and he's like, look, we had to develop a regimen to keep ourselves from having that track hung over. And so when I reached out to him because he changed careers, he had his midlife crisis and uh, he went in to be a nutritionist full time. I said, Ken, this is a golden opportunity for us to really have this conversation and help educate some people on what they're doing wrong and how they can go to work on Monday. You know, like the old Ford race on the weekend, go to work on Monday. You want your body to be the same way. And so that episode is really, really important for that reason. Uh yeah. And, and on top of all of that, it is just running on adrenaline, depending on what, especially depending on what level that you're at, yep. you got to figure your body is a hundred percent on the entire time. And that's just absolutely I, I, I feel it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I don't know about you all, but whenever I go away to a track event, I never sleep properly. I don't I sleep, either. I, I get maybe, I mean, I'll, I'll try to go to bed at nine o'clock at night. I won't, I will lay there in the bed and not fall asleep until midnight. And then you got to wake up at five thirty six AM to, to prepare for the, for the event, whether you got to go to the instructor's meeting or whatever, or you got to get your car off the trailer or you have to fix broken axles before your first session mm-hmm. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, I don't know anybody that actually sleeps properly. So not, not only are you malnourished, you're sleep deprived and all of that is just, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, so, I know, I know in our instance is that I don't even sleep well going into the race, right. you know, like the couple days before, whether it's, you know, thinking of stuff that has to go, um, you're all hyped up. You're trying to make sure everything, all your, you know, eyes are dotted and T's are crossed before you get there. So I don't even sleep well going into it and then sleep deprived elsewhere. So, so one of the top tips I give the trialers at EMRA is what I call the nine lap rule. So if you can't, if you can't do it in nine laps, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the car. So mm-hmm three warm, three hot, three cold, get the heck off the track. Cause otherwise mm-hmm. you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Unless it's an endurance race. True. But you know, <laughs> yeah. you're happy to make nine laps at that point. Right. So, so I heard this foreign concept. I, I believe Brad said it. He, he said that people wake up early to prepare the car for the event. I've never experienced that. I've, I've, I've heard about these things, but Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, that was out loud. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Are you saying you're fully prepared before you get there? Or you just no, no, I'm saying I'm saying the only one who gets up. On the car. <laughs> I'm saying I'm the only one who gets up in the morning. But anyway, uh, it's, it, we've got a lot of coffee people. So we have an award, by the way, called the, uh, <laughs> what is it? The Oleg Award. You fixed it in the paddock. That's for the guys that didn't prep did all their stuff that day, stuff broke, and then they still managed to get out on track. And the last time that happened, somebody pulled the transmission, did a clutch job, and still managed to get out on track because, you know, they needed to get it done. But my favorite are the people, because we've got a couple of them in our club, they sign up for a track event, they pay for a track event, they show up to a track event, and then they spend the entire track event prepping the car for the (laughs) event to the point where it's Sunday afternoon, there's one session left in the day, and they get to drive half of it. We'll talk about Matt Man, Mountain Man Band like that. Oh, there, there, are, there are a couple others that I could talk about. Basically, they do their winter prep at the first track. Oh, event. Lord. It's the most expensive 
garage time ever. Yep. Well, I can't. I mean, I got to say that early, early, early on when we didn't know anything about cars or car maintenance or anything, we were those people. No, you know, we we tried to do it. We just didn't know what it meant. Yeah, Yeah. we we learned the hard way. (laughs) So so you ready for the delusions of a, a newbie. So we go to our first endurance race. We bring our car. We've prepared our car. We go out there. The car goes round and round. We put the car away at the end. We drive home. This is easy. So what do we do? Second race. Hey, let's get four more people and we can have two cars because this is easy. Oh. You just prepare the car, bring it to the track, goes round and round and put it away. How hard can this be? No, no. I got to add on to that, too. Half of our group were teenagers. Yes. Easy. Well, there, there's your problem right there. <laughs> yes. And the other half pretended to be teenagers, at least in behavior. Yeah. So it was great. It was awesome. Where's the reset button? Yeah. Yeah. Two, two yeah. cars is 8X one car. Anyway. All right, gentlemen, you've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now. I need to know the biggest aha moments you got from your podcast so far could be Hopefully in car control could be something mechanical, could be something racing, could be something in approach or prep or anything. You got any aha moments that you guys are like, oh, wow. Oh, uh, I, I think about them. this. I stumped them, Vicky. I, I know them. I hear. Well, it's it's because our guests are so different. They are. And how what are you saying? Well, because diverse, I think he says. Okay. Well, in the sense that, like, for instance, I know you guys have interviewed like Randy, right? Yep. Yep. Or Randy Popes, for those who are listening. So uh, if I if I had Randy Popes on, Steve I'd Taylor. be diving into his past <laughs> and talking about how he grew up and tell me about racing Volvos overseas and you know who else do you know? You know, did, did you have a grudge match against Andy Pilgrim, which he didn't? They're like good friends, you know, stuff like that and. But I would never, I guess never would I ever, but I wouldn't ask him about driving technique, right? That's your guy's thing. I'd be more like, I just want to know his story. I want to know. Story time. Yeah. yeah. I want people to be motivated and inspired to say, I can do what Randy does. I want to be like Randy. You know, there's plenty of other talk tracks out there, especially, you know, all of us look to Ross Bentley as kind of the pinnacle on the listing in terms of driving techniques with speed secrets and all that. So have we had aha moments? Absolutely. But they've come in the weirdest ways because of people's backstories, how they got to where they are. You look at Rob Holland's story about how, how he started as a pro cyclist and now he's a professional driver for many, many years. He's got, you know, he, uh, he's got records all over the place. You look at Andy's backstory. He comes from humble beginnings as an immigrant from, from the UK you look at um, even people that are related to the car world, but not in the car world, like Barbie the welder. I mean, she's got an amazing backstory, absolutely inspirational. And, and Chuck Bennett from Zymol, right? They got all these, how did they get their moments, right? And it's, those are the things that we really cherish. And there's been a lot of those just really amazing stories that we've been able to capture and share with our audience. I think my aha moment, you know, I, 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 you know, second everything that Eric just said, but if I had to choose just an aha moment, it would be Andy's story specifically and how he started so late. Yes. And he got, he got his start in racing and everything so late in life. And that contradicts everything you hear 
about, oh, if you want to be the next Lewis Hamilton, you've got to, you've got to start karting when you're two or three years old and you got to start super young and you got to, that didn't happen for him. He didn't start to what he was in his forties. Yeah. He didn't get his professional seat and his gig with GM until he was 40. And that just expired a couple of years ago. He's been a factory driver for GM and Cadillac and all that for the last you know, 20, he's 64 years old now. So almost 25 years. Yeah. Wow. So the, the aha moment is basically. You can do it too. Follow, <laughs> you, you, you can do it too. Follow your dreams. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can start whenever you want. You could be 70 years old. You'll get a platinum license or whatever, but you won't. Bronze, bronze now. <laughs> oh, sorry. You, you'll get a bronze license. You won't get a pro license, but I mean, follow your dreams. Who cares? Don't listen to these people that tell you you won't succeed because they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, there's other people that have gobsmacked us, like Johann Schwartz, right? He's the Guinness Book. That was book. amazing, yeah. He's the Guinness Book world record holder for the longest drift. It's mm-hmm. eight hours in a BMW, over 200 miles. He also holds the current EV record at VIR in the uh, Tesla Plaid. And so we got a chance to sit down with him. And he's an amazing guy. Again, another immigrant came over from Denmark. And, you know, his backstory on how he got into motorsports and professional racing and all that is just, it's inspiring. And we hope that other people get excited about that and say, yeah, you know, like I said before, you can do it too. There's always an opportunity. Captain's log supplemental. So Miss Vicky. Yes, sir. Do you remember when we were watching those WRL events? And some of those grid life events where you used to see the in-car video and it had like the, the cameras seeing front and back, but it also could see all the telemetry and everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the ones that we liked were taken by the Sentinel system. Remember James came on our podcast earlier? Right. You know, we have no excuse since he uh, lent us one for trial and demonstration purposes. We should actually probably put that in one of our cars. Maybe two. I really think we should. I think we should. I know. Because then we'd look like the uh, immature endurance racing team that we are. Oh, wait, I mispronounced that, didn't I? Sorry. My bad. <laughs> we could so what have, does the Sentinel system do? We could have three cameras with picture in picture. We could have, if we ever get the AIM system to work, open invitation to anybody from AIM to come on and give us a little bit of love. We need some help. Um, and then we could have all our telemetry on there. And then we can have it streamed live into the paddock or around the world to our millions of fans. We're apparently very popular in Kenya right now. Don't know why, but that's fine. <laughs> and it can integrate all the uh, available race statistics from like race here and everything. So we could actually see how we're doing on video. We wouldn't even have to carry around our phone anymore. Live. I, I love it. All right, gentlemen, you've made it through the bulk of the podcast. Now we must subject you to Uh-oh. the Fast and Furious story time questions. We're going to do a, a section of them because we plan on having you back again. Oh, so Miss Vicky, would you care to choose a couple that we can uh, subject? I mean, uh, ask them. All right. Uh, what was your first car and what was the worst car you've ever had? Ooh. Brad. My first car was a 1990 Honda Civic hatchback with four on the floor. My first car was an 87 and a half Audi Coupe GT. Ooh. Worst car? Oh, that's a tough one. 
let's pull up the list. Let's pull up the article of all the cars we've owned. The <laughs> list is really, really long. The list is 30 deep right now for me. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> trying to think. Worst car I've ever owned. Uh I've sort of loved all my cars. They've all had names, good, bad, or indifferent. I've had some that are, or have been problem children, but I don't know that I've had a worst car. Okay, which one had the worst name? Ooh. Oh. Ooh. There was one I wouldn't name. <laughs> That's, That's worst the car. worst car. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So that car is driven daily by Mountain Man Dan. Uh, it was my idiotic idea to build a diesel cup car out of a Jetta and I was making ungodly torque. I blew it up, rebuilt it. Dan blew it up. We rebuilt it again. It's been through several blowups. It, it, it was like, it, it was, it was like Voldemort. I mean, I just could not name that car, but it still runs today, three engines later and, and everything else that has been through hell and high water. Yeah. Maybe that was the worst car. I mean, tied for that would be the Mark II GTI that I bought because the water pump fell out of it as I was going down the road. That was kind of fun. Uh, you added, you added lightness. I did. I did. And the other car that would probably be a tie to the Mark II GTI. I inherited my dad's uh, second gen Audi Quattro Coupe. We called it the mule 320,000 miles on the thing. He was a second owner. It still had the original clutch. Great car. It was a tank. I mean, it was my snowmobile for years, but it flooded constantly. Like uh, it was a major pain in the ass because it was frameless doors, which is a cool thing in the nineties. And it had a, it had the sunroof that constantly leaked like all Volkswagens and Audis at that time period. So it was a nightmare to keep it dry, but I loved it, but I hated it, but I loved it, but I hated it. And I finally regrettedly sold it. And uh, a guy drove it from my house all the way to Florida. And I said, just do me one favor. Let me know that you got there. And he's like, still running strong. No problem. I was like, okay. My worst car was an Audi S8 for the same reason. It beautiful car. It was amazing interior. It was like the most luxurious car I'd ever owned, but it would leak any major storm or anything. It would leak and I'd get in it and I'd be, my feet would be sitting in two inches of water and i got so this happened like four or five times i got so fed up with it i took it to carmax the next day and was like just take this i don't care what you're going to give me for it. just get rid of this car i don't want it wow anymore. did you ever figure out where the leak was coming in at there's there was this <laughs> i was well so I, I did take it to a place to get it cleaned out four of those five times and basically there's a spot where the water drains around the door sills and everywhere and all the water collects in like this one spot like under the hood somewhere and basically it's prone to getting leaves and debris and everything like that plugs it up so the water has nowhere else to go but into the cabin and basically you have to clean out that area that one small area where or you have to do it like every basically all the time or it's just going to leak into the cabin all the time you reminded me, Brad, there is a worse car. There is. And I put it out of my mind because it was so bad. Oh, the M3. No, well, no, M3. no. I, I hated my M3. That was like owning a boat. But yeah. that Passat station wagon. Oh, was, yes. That was the bane of your existence. Oh, I could not. Oh, that car was terrible. I could not get rid of that thing to save my life. Ugh. All right. Pa- palate cleanser time. This is going to make the two of you feel better after the last question and make Vicky make the face that she always does. So we're going to win the lottery. 
We're going to buy an island. We're going on the island. We're going to build a racetrack. We're going to have an asphalt track and we're going to have a dirt track. But as a thank you to all our guests, we want to have the proper cars for you guys to use upon your arrival. So what five cars do we need to have to make you happy and make it worthwhile to have come on our little silly podcast? Brad, would you like to go first? This is like our three-car garage desert island question. So is this a billion-dollar Powerball win? Or is yes, like we are. We are. We, we, since we don't play them, it's it's whatever size we want it to be. So Okay. Yes. Price is no object. Price is no uh, Well, for the dirt track, I mean, I want any of the, uh, the Group B rally cars. I mean, okay. I, I'll take the... I'll take the the Ford Escort RS. What was it? The RS. You don't fit in it. I mean, it it's specially built for him. If they won the lottery, we take care of you, man. Yeah, they they either stretch the chassis or they buy me lipo, and so you end up with a Mustang. That's (laughs) good. Um, or or I would do the uh, the Rallycross Beetle. Oh, the GRC, yeah. The 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 GRC Rallycross Beetle is really awesome. So we're going to count that as one car. Okay, that's fine. Uh, for the road course, I mean, a Ferrari 250 GTL. Very nice. Uh, Shelby Daytona Coupe. Mm-hmm. Same car, basically. Um, a C7R. That's like my my dream of all dreams, a C7R Corvette. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think that's enough. I would, I would have plenty of fun with those vehicles. Oh, man. I think uh, crew chief Eric may want six cars if you're going to give one up. So, you know, just, just, uh, no, 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 I got all these, I got all these Swiss army knives, you know? So if we're going off-road, I'm going to make my sister happy. We're going to have a Fiat Panda four by four Sicily because it can pretty much go anywhere. And that is the mountain goat of Italy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need, you didn't say it needed to have any horsepower and I could get one of those for like a buck 25. So it's all good. And you know, we can have fun with that. That's a very slow lap unless you take the Viking line. It's a very fun lap. Have you seen the race against that Ferrari in the snow? Dude, the Panda just wipes it. Mm. It's an amazing car. Amazing. I car. wonder why. <laughs> it weighs like three ounces. So that's number one. Number two, another Swiss Army knife would be, to Brad's point, probably a Group B Audi. I love the long wheelbase cars. I owned a long wheelbase UR Quattro. I would probably have to have a Evo S2, like the Pikes Peak car that Bobby Unser drove, because that can be driven on asphalt and on off-road. Mm-hmm. On the asphalt side, I mean, it's got to be an R- a Ferrari F40. I mean, if all the money in the world, I mean, fine, let's let's do it. Oh, then I'm, I'm my my fifth car is an F50. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew that was he was going to say that. Yeah. Um, you know, I really like f- some funky cars, so I'd I'd have to have some sort of weird revolving door between like the Bugatti EV110 or the the Ford GT90 or something of that you know '90s era funky mm-hmm. concept car. I want a concept car of some sort, so that would be used on the asphalt. Maybe like a um, Banshee. <laughs> the Pontiac Banshee. I was thinking about the one that Jerry Weiger uh, designed, the W8 car, the Vector, right? So oh, that'd be kind of, okay. yeah, that'd be kind of neat. Something just weird that people go, what the hell is that, right? But there is one car that can do it all. And I mentioned this on one of our episodes. It was the Regrets and Desert Island episode. And it's a Hollywood car. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Is uh, Charlie look, Sheen in the movie? No, he is not in the movie. Okay, very well. We posted recently about it as an article, not an episode, and we are working on an episode because we've got friends in low places. 
I would like, we're trying to track down the, what they call the beauty car uh, that Chrysler built for the TV show Viper. And so okay. my fifth car would be the Defender because it's an amphibious vehicle, an off-road vehicle, a high-performance vehicle, all rolled into one. So you want to leave the island is what you're trying to say. No, no, no. I'm barricading myself on the island. <laughs> oh, wait, can I, can I get rid of my Group B rally car? and add Sure, you can borrow Eric's. I, I, no, I want to add a Reliant Robin. Oh, oh that's nice. a good one. That's a good very one. Nice. Just for fun. Just for fun. See, Vicky, it wasn't so bad. We made it. We did it. We did. Um, I do have a question. Um, what is the one car that got away? Ooh. Well, I that's wish you had back. That's easy because it got stolen. Or didn't so. get. Yeah, the car that got stolen. I had one of the first uh, VW, or, sorry, one of the first Mark IV VW R32s in the United States. It was actually the show car that was used at Baltimore and some of the other places. And then uh, picked up delivery of the car, had it for three years, stolen right out from underneath me. I would honestly still have that car to this day had it not been stolen. That was 20 years ago. (laughs) I've got two cars. I had a, a, a TJ Wrangler that was lifted with big wheels and tires and all that. It was probably one of my the most fun I've had in one four wheels ever. And then I had a, a 90, 99 Camaro Z28 that was totaled. Uh, if I, if that car wasn't totaled, I'd probably still have it. Hence his Instagram handle is a result of that accident. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. righty. So um, Jennifer, who could not make it, she's on a family vacation, but her favorite question, what is your favorite car movie or car from a movie of all time? Ooh. Do you want me to answer? Are you going to- sure. Either way. Go ahead. I'm, I'm thinking. Brad looks puzzled. I have always had an affinity and I have said before that I would own the new generation of this. I really, one of the movies that my dad made me watch early on was Vanishing Point. Mm-hmm. And so I've always had a thing for 71 Challenger, 70 Challenger, RT, you know, with the rally wheels, the whole nine yards, just like in that movie. And I've always said, I want an SRT8 new, new version with a vanity plate that says Kowalski on the back and just run around with that and just rip and roar and just hoon around in that thing. So that would be kind of my ultimate movie car. It's, it's slightly understated. It's a cult classic as far mm-hmm. as movie movies go, but I think it's an all around pretty cool homage to the muscle car era. Sure. What about you, Brad? Do you have one? I do have a movie car. Um, Eric kind of alluded to its cousin uh, or its, its younger brother earlier, the R34 Skyline from Too Fast, Too Furious. As far as my favorite car movie, though, I would have to say, I don't know that it's necessarily a car movie, but it's got great car adjacent scenes. Um, it would be Ronan. Oh, okay. All right. Miss Vicky, you have one more or two more? Uh, let me see. Um, from our list here. What is the weirdest car you think that is so far has ever been out there? Oh man, that list is long. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's a list of terrible cars, but there is the ultimate terrible car. 
I mean, there is. So we did a double episode for anybody that's listening. It's called uh, What Should I Buy? Ugly Cars. And then it was followed up by like part B, which is the B-sides, the uncool cars. And so the list goes on and on and on. And I mean, you could start at the top of the totem pole with cars like the Fiat Multipla or the Pontiac Aztec or the PT Cruiser, the HHR. I mean, those are like the top, you know, four. We actually have a thing on our website called the Uncool Wall. You can actually go there and vote. There's like 50 cars to choose from that we've listed. And I mean, it ranges all sorts of things from those that I mentioned to things like the, the Porsche 928 or the Alfa Romeo SZ, which, uh, or you've got, you know, just all sorts of weird things on that list that people are like, oh, that car is heinous, it's terrible, it's this, it's that. So unfortunately, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder if we're looking at it specifically from an aesthetics point of view. But then there are tons of cars that are mechanically deficient, right? That are just terrible. I mean, I could name a, a list of Jags that everybody's going to hate me for, or Maserati by turbos, you know, cars that are just nightmare cars, but people still want to own those. We don't dissuade them from doing that. That's all part of our whole, what should I buy thing is throw it out there. Let's get excited. Tell me why you want to buy a Chrysler Maserati TC, right? I don't get it. I want to drive one. I don't want to own one, but Hey, if it, there's a club for everybody out there. If you owned a garage, you'd want everybody to drive one. Oh, this is very true. I mean, I want to collect cars <laughs> like Matchbox cars, so it's all good. But, you know, hey. Brad, what about you? I don't know. I don't know enough about, like, weird cars or whatever, or classic cars or the, the, the whatever. But I guess a car I always wondered, like, why – Maybe it's not the car itself, but it's how it how it came out. Uh, the all these retro cars, these renamed cars, for example, the Mitsubishi Eclipse. That's not a Mitsubishi Eclipse anymore. It's an SUV. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chevrolet Monte Carlo when they brought that back in the early two thousands. Why was it front wheel drive with a crappy V six? Why did they do that to that car? Especially when the the Monte Carlos were all and they're they're G bodies, right? They were all you know, special rear wheel drive, big V8s. I mean, they were, they were cool cars in their own. That's a NASCAR. Come on now. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Stock, stock car racing, not NASCAR, stock car racing. Um, Late models. So yeah, it's, it's not, not necessarily like the cars themselves, but just like the configuration they came out in. I was like, why, why are you doing this? Why is the must, why is the Mach-E called the Mustang Mach-E? Why isn't it just the, Ugh. The Don't Mach-E. get started. Yeah, it's it's stupid. It, there's it all a bunch of we call it badge way. badge engineering, right? Yeah, and it, there's a lot of that going on right now. They're bringing back uh, the Hornet. There's we talk about this on our drive through all the time, and and you know we kind of I hate to say piss and moan about it, but it, it's true though. I mean, if you grew up in the era of those cars, and suddenly they say, oh, we're going to bring back the Coronet, or we're going to bring back the Superbird, and it's like the, the Jeep Renegade rebadged, I would be upset as a car enthusiast that gets under my skin, you know? So I'm with Brad on that one, but there is one car and Vicky asked the question a certain way, but there is one car that I despise above all cars <laughs> on the face of the earth. Brad, would you like to tell them what it is? Oh, it's a, uh, it's a Citroen, isn't it? That's right. Which one? The all D- of them. The DS. I, yes, there's, okay. there's something about the DS and I know that it saved De Gaulle's life and all this kind of thing. And the, the headlights, the turn of the steering wheel, and it was revolutionary. It looks like a pill bug. It is. I don't understand that car. I will never understand that car. I've sat in one. I refuse to drive it just like I refuse to watch Drive to Survive. I just, I will not do it. 
it's just it's something angers me about that car. So I don't know what it is. Okay. All right. So my last one for the day, you have many, many, many more to put up with, but last one for today is as far as your driving goes and your racing goes, what is something that you're relatively good at and what is your biggest area to improve? Ooh. And relative is relative to yourself, not relative to the, you know, the gods of racing. Yeah. I've only tracked at least road course tracked front wheel drive cars. So I've never really had the opportunity to learn heel toe. So I need, I would love to, to work on heel toe if I can ever get behind the wheel uh, for an extensive period of time in a rear wheel drive vehicle on track. So what would be something you're relatively good at though? That I'm going to need to think about. (laughs) Everybody does. The the last one's easy. It's like, I need to do this, this. (laughs) Yeah. I'm having, I'm struggling with your positive question because I've driven so many different disciplines of racing. So when it comes to karting, my racecraft and traffic management, I think is really good. I find my way through and pretty quick. I always joke that I'm pretty fast for a fat kid. I qualify well, I've always qualified well. So that translated into autocross and time trials. So I enjoy that. Those are why those are the disciplines I gravitate to. Um, so I'm, I, while he's talking or thinking, I did come up with my two or, or with my, uh, the things that I'm good at. Apparently I've, I've always been told this by people that have watched me autocross, but I'm extremely smooth, mm-hmm. which you don't really see in autocross usually. No. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of it translates from, you know, my track time or whatever. Uh, so being really smooth and really consistent, I would say are my pluses. Those are good. I'd say my negative is getting more comfortable with higher horsepower cars. I have a certain threshold that I'm comfortable with. It used to be, I don't want to drive anything more 300 horsepower. Once I crossed that and I got into the 400s, I was like, that's okay. When I get behind the wheel of some of these new cars that are six, seven, 800 horsepower, like I got to drive a Camaro that made 800 horsepower. It's a bit much. It's a bit daunting. I have to, I have to really rein myself in because I want to drive it like a 200 horsepower civic and I can't, you know, uh, I do have a 10. You could, it wouldn't end well. No, it wouldn't. And, you know, I do have a slight propensity or affinity for driving off of the front wheels. Now, not that I've never owned or haven't raced rear wheel drive cars. For me, they're all the same. It's four wheels and a steering wheel, but it's the horsepower thing that gets me. I get in my own head and I almost become too patient at, you know, when I should be getting on the throttle, I start just really screwing stuff up because I'm like, I'm worried that it's going to break loose and that I'm not going to be able to catch it. And that's also because generally it's not my car. You know, if it was right. my Audi R8, I'd be like, ah, whatever, let's go. But in, when you're borrowing somebody else's car, it's like, did, did they get track insurance or I don't know. So <laughs> It's not the question you want to ask when you're getting in the car after they've turned you the keys. Hey, do you have insurance on this? <laughs> now I will say it doesn't bother me from the right seat. I've ridden in all sorts of cars and it never yeah. bothers me. Even though people say it's 20 miles an hour faster in the right seat. It, it never bugs me. It's when I'm behind the wheel that because I do drive by feel, a lot. And I use data as well. I just, I get this overwhelming nervous sensation when I'm in a car, you know, over 500 horsepower. Mm-hmm. So when everything goes plaid. Yeah. yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> when everything goes plaid. <laughs> 
okay, we've lost her, but we're going to come back. She knows that's why the Tesla is called the Plaid too, right? Funny. She they clicked with her a little later, you know. I'm sorry, sometimes, it's funny. Sometimes my jokes start in the East Coast, and you know they work their way. <laughs> sorry, that's just pretty funny. Okay, so gentlemen, that's just a sample of some of the episodes you've done and some of the banter that you guys have. If people want to tune in and get more of this, where would they go? We are available on all of your favorite podcatchers or audio apps that you use. So if you're a Google fan, Spotify, Apple, you know, you want to listen from India on Ghana podcast, we're on all of them. So you can search for us either Grand Touring, G-R-A-N with no D, Touring, or Break slash Fix. If you want to take a shortcut, you can head over to our podcast server. We're hosted by Podbean. So that's gtmotorsports.podbean.com. They also have their own app if you want to tune in to that service. And then you can also go to our home website, gtmotorsports.org. That's G as in grand, T as in touring, and motorsports with an S.org. And on there, you will find all sorts of information. But in addition to that, you will also find follow-on articles that go with all of our episodes. So if you want to learn more about our guests, things that they're into, other secret nuggets, and you know what the show was about, you can check it out episode by episode on our website. And then you can check out some of the sub-projects that we're involved in, like Paddock Pal, the National Motorsports Safety Association, um, <laughs> the Clubhouse, if, you want to, if you're interested in becoming a GTM member. And don't forget, we are supported entirely through Patreon. And the love and affection of our members, families, and friends so if you're interested in helping us keep the lights on, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. Also, we relist or re-upload all of our episodes on YouTube. So if you're the type of person that likes to watch a audio only program, <laughs> then you can find us on YouTube. It's good for uh, subtitles because we have a few listeners who are hearing impaired. So it's, it's a good thing to do. So. I'm not saying I'm going to put all those links in the episode notes, but I'm going to try. (laughs) I don't type as well as Eric talks. So there's that. But anyway, gentlemen, great having you on. It was great to be on your podcast. Hopefully uh, you had a little bit of fun and uh, Mm -hmm. we will have you on again in the future. Absolutely. It's always fun making new friends. And like we said before, that's the whole point of this is to continue to spread the enthusiasm, whether it's through Garage Heroes and Training or through Break Fix, find your niche in the vehicle enthusiasts and motorsport world and hang on to that, right? Build those relationships and you never know what you'll get, what kind of trouble you'll get yourself into. And if you're at any of the million different events we go to, whether it's G-Hits or us, come and talk to us, say hi. You know, we're, we're friendly folks. We don't bite. Well, Vicky might, but you know, whatever. <laughs> it's more of a, it's more of a nibble, but you know, it's fine. She doesn't need that much to survive. Now me, I could gnaw off a leg and still be hungry, but that's beside the point. Now, now we, while we're here, speaking of gnawing legs, why would you take up valuable space in your stomach for this thing you call salad when you could have meat? Did I say salad? I meant ensalada. Ah. Which... <laughs> Yeah, that, that's the green thing, right? We don't. That's no. the green thing, but ensalada has ground beef and ah, salsa. And, oh, that's know, how he's doing. Strips. He didn't tell me that. You had no, me no, at no. beef. <laughs> yep, no. Yeah. So until we meet you guys in person finally, and uh, we seem to hang out at all the same places, yet we've been two ships crossing in the wind, we will uh, look forward to it, listening to the podcast. Always fun. And uh, thanks again for having us on, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. 
How you doing, Miss Vicky? I'm tired. Are, are you not home? I'm guessing. No, I'm, I'm at, home. I'm at work. I was going to say. Work yeah. down, down south? Uh, no, I'm just, uh, well, south of where we live, but, you know, yeah. uh, in, we live north of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I work between Scranton and Wilkesbury. Oh, okay. I didn't so. know if you were down in Alabama or not. No, that's that's next week. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Bill's at work, he's got that two screen thing, so he doesn't watch you. I look this way. Right. My camera's well, this way. Yeah. My screen's this way. It's a good thing <laughs> you don't post any of this on YouTube. So. Oh. Yeah. Vicky's like, why don't we post it on YouTube? I'm like, because I'm not good at editing. Nobody wants to see this mess. That's why. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of which, um, you guys, re- I can't remember. You have like multiple releases in a week. What's your standard release day? Uh, normal episode is Monday. Dominate McCausland's okay. Tuesday. Okay. And then so, bonus episodes whenever. Okay. So we had, we were going to do part one, part two. Can you do the 25th? Yeah. Nothing, nothing spoken for in our end. Okay. Cause August. ours is, ours is locked for the 23rd. Yes. August. Okay. Done. So part one. And then you guys will, uh, I guess you'll post it, uh, as, uh, Grand Touring Motorsports crossover part two or whatever, however you guys want to title that. And then eventually, do you want us to repost it on our end? Do you want, or how do you want that to work? Guess well, it doesn't matter. if, if we want to, uh, like if you want to post what we do with you under your feed, we can send you a copy. Same. Yeah, that'd be that'd be perfect, and I can launch that on Thursday as a bonus. So that's okay. easy. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, neither one of us is going to have any uh, domination of the world. But you know, if we could race both boats, that would be awesome. A hundred percent. Do you want us to send you part one then as well? Sure. The whenever, thing? whenever okay. it's ready. No big, okay. no hurry. I was only wondering if maybe if it took away from us, if we have one-on-one, you know, both on mine, I guess it doesn't matter. Right. Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. It's okay. People will pretty much pick up when they're uh, listening to the same thing for the second time. Yeah. Right. If they don't, they didn't <laughs> listen very much. A hundred percent. So how mechanical are you, sir? What would you like me to fix? Well, is, is fixing a possibility with your, with your pause. I don't need you to fix anything. I'm just trying to see. So short of rebuilding transmissions, I can pretty much do anything. Oh, okay. Well, then yeah. you'll, you'll enjoy this picture. Then. Okay. Yeah, I don't weld. If I could weld, I'd be dangerous. Oh. Yeah, because my, my imagination would kick in and I'd be doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And right. I'd probably, I'd probably make people like Barbie the welder pretty mad because I'm like, oh, right. look, what I, look what I made out of trash from the track. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm just learning welding. Oh, you did say that you were getting into that. She's trying. Yeah. It doesn't seem too hard. I do art anyway. Right. So it's the fine motor skills are, are not so much an issue. Until you TIG. My thing is, I, I like to be able to see what I'm doing and I don't get the whole mask and then you're kind of guessing and you kind of go along and it, it just, it weirds me out. So I've never wanted to learn it because I want to lift the mask and I want to see what I'm doing. And I just, I know that's a sin. And it's well, the masks are much better now, but you can see, you can yeah. see with the mask. So don't, don't feel bad. Oh, okay. Cause I've tried some like helping or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I can't see anything other than just, it looks like, you know, the surface of the sun. That's yeah. about it. 
Well, you don't want to be too too bright, but you also don't want to be too dark. So they, they have the auto adjust masks now, which are kind of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, there he is. There is Crew Chief Brad. You guys missed trivia night. We did that. No, sorry, we, we kind of. I listened. We lifted. We lifted your style a little bit. I listened. <laughs> I was like, we did one just like this. Did you play the online version though? We had an online version that was twice as long. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't play the online version. I was. I. Uh, I listen to everything as I drive. So uh, that yeah. that episode was very interesting to record. What we realized, you know, since we talked offline last time about recording, there was nothing like setting up, you know, eight voices and then having to slice through them all and add silence. And I was like, normally I can bust through one of the, a drive through in a couple hours. It took me almost eleven hours to get through that episode. It was idiotic. Yeah, we had sixteen people on one time. Ugh, what a nightmare! It, it was terrible. That's good when we do our awards night because we don't rec- we don't well, some, we record those for video purposes just for the members that you know don't show up. But yeah, I would never try to edit that. It's just a nightmare. Yeah, I, I tried. Okay, so this is this is what we found. I don't know if you guys have been playing the home game, but uh, this is what we found as our issue with our BMW M3. This is the picture. You ready? Oh, is the rear subframe broken? Nope, nope. Different. How about that? Ooh, yummy. Is that That's- that? That count no is bueno. That count is bueno or no bueno. That's some serious blow by you have there. No, that's not the issue. No, so you it's not bu- coming from the cylinder. It's coming from the fifth are- injector got stuck open. Oh, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. Do. Yeah, didn't run really well like that. You know, just in case. No, no. we just dropped off a, another engine. Yep, that's to- what I just got back doing. So anyway. That well, you fun. have you have ITBs from an M on there because isn't yours just a regular three thirty or is it? No, M? that's that's our that's our M three. Oh, okay, then that makes sense because I was like, only the M's have ITBs, so yeah. all right. There you go. Yeah, the, well, that's an easy fix. I mean, a hundred dollar injector, right? And you're kind of on your way. No, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. It it uh it did more than that. Oh well, that's no good then. That's where I was at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, less less than thrilled, shall we say? Mm-hmm. So I just dropped off the. Uh, he opened it up and he sent me that picture. I'm like, I don't know exactly why that is, but I know that that is no bueno. How you doing, Brad? Good. How is everybody else doing? Other than the issues with the M3. Yeah. Well, you know, all of our cars started breaking at once. Yeah. It's fantastic. That's the way it works. They you know? all did. They talk to each other and they're all like, you know what? We're on the same cycle. We're, we're on strike break at once. <laughs> we're on strike. Yeah. They're like bees. I'm telling you, you piss off one wasp and then they all come after you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you stop with, stop with the, we're on strike until they get rid of the 10% ethanol fuel. Yeah. Pretty much. That's nothing for us. But anyway, that's a different story. We can get ourselves in lots of trouble with that. Um, anything you guys need us to bring up during the episode? No, oh, it's a free for all. We're just as prepared as we always are. Like, right. you know, when we do Excellent. our drive drive through episodes, you know, we're just going to send it. Zero percent. Zero percent. It is very weird being on the other side of the microphone. I mean, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? I'm always on this side of the microphone. I don't know what you're talking about, Eric. <laughs> I just don't know what to expect. It's like this. It's like Monty Python episode, right? Well, we could have shared it with you, but we didn't want to because it's way more fun this way. Vicky, do you have the doc, by the way? I do. Okay, very well. Well, I'm glad they're prepared. Well, somebody's got to be prepared. 